0: Welcome back, everyone. This is Eric Ellefsen with the Digital Education Podcast, and I'm with Ben Wellborn today. And I've gotten to know Ben a little bit over um, the recent weeks, but I've followed a lot of his work over the years. And um, Ben, I'm super interested, and maybe we'll get into the specific places and the specific stories of where you've worked. And, and I'll let you maybe do a little bit of the introduction because. I find you interesting and fascinating for a lot of reasons, but at the heart of it, you're an innovator, you've tried new things, you've developed new organizations, new programs, you've, you've been a part of a lot, and I've, I've had the opportunity, especially to follow your career with Virto Education, But maybe first question to start is like, where did your spark for innovation or why jump into innovation and education? Like, where did that start from and where did that come from for you?
1: Thanks, Eric. I, I think your question is, where did the chip on my shoulder come from? Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I have to I have to go back to high school. I, I was not psyched to sit at a desk in a bunch of rows and it showed my grades were uh, painfully mediocre. Everything about my high school experience and and uh, performance was was painfully mediocre uh i i did have senioritis freshman year of high school and it got to the point where i had adults in my life telling me how sad it was that i didn't like learning and i remember at that point just thinking like i don't think that's it i think i just don't like this um and yet i had to shut up and take it for for four years so um I th- I think that's really where it started was was getting out of high school and realizing oh there are a million different ways to learn and that they're all valid and that in most cases the education system has really pushed students through one model um and pretended that it's a a one size fits all so I I don't think of myself as an innovator nor do my parents they're surprised about my path actually um but it's just identifying what i see as needs and then realizing how how far it goes and how many people it's affected and and seeing what we can do to to make things better
0: so so it's it's interesting to me because i think and and, and maybe correct me if i'm wrong if i'm thinking about this in the wrong way i think innovation comes in multiple different forms right sometimes innovation comes outside of you know, the traditional systems and mechanisms and organizations or, you know, in education, the traditional public school system in a lot of ways, because your just brief story about your educational career resonates with me. I was an underperformer in many ways that kind of figured it out later in life. But in a lot of ways, I feel like I've chosen to be an innovator within the system. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm wondering maybe like, cause you've kind of innovated on the outsides to try to mm-hmm. impact, you know, maybe that larger system or to even create alternatives to that larger system. Um, help me, help, help me understand like that, you know, and the decisions that you've made, you know, in the work that you've done um, because I always find that interesting, you know, because the stories resonate so much your story resonates so much with me personally.
1: Awesome. Well, yeah, I think I, I I tried first to make change from within. I out of college thought I wanted to be a teacher and I lasted one year in a classroom and that was it. And um, and I just remember day one getting into the classroom, really enjoying working with students and also feeling like a complete hypocrite because I was telling them all, hey, take this seriously. You should really you know, cherish this educational experience when I knew that I didn't I didn't enjoy that environment either. So. That got me thinking about, OK, how can I still work with students and really impact their lives positively, um, but do it in a more authentic way to how I learned and, and what I believe. And so that brought me into the field of experiential education. And then I kind of uncovered a bunch of challenges in that space, too. It's it's always been seen as a less legitimate, nice to have, not a need to have Um and really, a luxury and kind of squishy. It's it doesn't it it's not seen to have really clear student learning outcomes. Uh, it's just kind of a go have a crunchy granola time and and see what happens. Um, and and the outcome is pretty clear. Like it ends up being that that industry serves a lot of and I'm looking at myself with this too. Pretty privileged people um, who. Uh, have those types of opportunities and and aren't really driving to just get that traditional experience and and credential under under their belt. Um, and so working within that space, I was thinking this is really really powerful work. How do we get this in the hands of more people? Um, and a lot of institutions have said let's throw money at the problem, let's let's create scholarships and all that, but that doesn't really address the root challenges of a lot of underrepresented populations which is how do you work within those communities to identify their needs and find, uh, you know, solutions that'll help them get on their way to their goals. And for many, for many people, it's college. Um, and yet college is famously expensive and famously complicated to get into and, and start with. And so that was really what, what Virto education was born out of was really creating uh, the best of both worlds, and, and really creating a ex, an experiential freshman year abroad that's also affordable and in fact more affordable than most brick and mortar four-year campuses. Um, and use that as your entry uh to a traditional rest of your four-year uh, college career. So um that that was the most challenging thing I've ever done and the most rewarding thing. And I'm really proud that they're continuing on and, and have they'll, they'll probably have over a thousand students traveling for freshman year of college this year and then transferring on to 80 plus partner schools. So um, it's, you know, having really good conversations like this with interesting people who also are working on pieces of the puzzle and then linking up and and solving it together.
0: It's super interesting, right, too, because like when you think about it, you know, you're looking for more opportunities and greater equity. And and how do we create some of that that opportunity? Because, you know, I came from, you know, surprisingly, you know, kind of a, a poor working class community. And it was really like, especially for the collegiate side of things, it was other people creating opportunities to give me a vision for what that future might look like. What, what, you know, and so as you think about like some of these next stages of, of education, even some of the things that you've learned, like what gives you may, maybe a couple of things and I'll let you figure out where you want to take it. What are lessons that you kind of discovered or what are the hopes or maybe they go together or what are mm-hmm. the hopes for kind of the future of some of the work that you do in the future of education and, 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 and the opportunities for more kids to thrive and flourish? Um, in their lives because of the educations that they get.
1: Yeah, I think, um, I've, I mean, I've learned a bunch of lessons, uh, both with with Virto and, and now with Minerva. But I think one of the lessons is that, while my high school experience didn't really properly serve me, there are a lot of people who know what they're doing. And the, the core of education is legitimate and really, really strong and powerful. It's the packaging around it that that doesn't necessarily uh, present its, itself well to to students. So I think that's really uh, a, a huge lesson: is rely on ed- on academics and experts. Because I'm not going to pretend to be that, um, but work with them to really meet students where they are more in in a scalable, standardized way. Um, what gives me hope is um, this is going to sound cynical, and I don't I don't mean it to. I think what gives me hope is that unanimously, I, I I don't think very many people are really happy with the status quo of education. And when there are that many people dissatisfied, something good has to happen. So I think, I think that gives me a lot of hope. At least we're all in agreement, like something needs to be better. There's disagreement right now on what that thing should be. Um, but, you know, we have a... In, in my assessment, we have a 55 year innovation drought in curriculum. Uh, and, and that is it's prime time. It's, it's time for something to really come out of that. And I am really hopeful and, and, you know, there's a lot going on. There's a lot that I, and my team are working on directly to, to address that. Uh, and I think that there is not just a national, but international dialogue happening around what the next steps need to be. So I am very optimistic.
0: Okay. OK, so it, and I don't think it's cynical because because um, there is that place where like a lot of the good, good work and a lot of change comes out of spaces mm-hmm. of, you know, just saying, hey, you know, and you've talked about it, opportunities or needs. Right. You follow opportunities or needs. But then you also look at it as like, hey, like this is just not good enough. Yeah. um And it, it, it's interesting right now. And whether it was COVID was the thing that broke it. Is that people were shown something different than maybe what they're experienced, or just saw the opportunities of what could be because of the flexibility and the creativity and the innovation that people had. So, so when you mention the fifty-five year drought in curriculum, and and some of those types of things like what are you thinking or what are you wondering about or what are you like creating that says, hey, you know what, here's been a 55 and why a 55 year drought? Um, Like, but but like, can you explain more and and give us a little bit of taste of what you're wondering about, thinking about or working on?
1: Sure. I mean, yes, 55 is an oddly specific number. So I that is really. When when the International Baccalaureate launched for secondary education, that was incredibly innovative and powerful and effective and a, a good change for the system um, and continues to be. And, and I go back to 55 years because it really is when that big innovation came out of the IB and there hasn't been a big innovation from within or, or externally since. um, And so what we're working on with Minerva is acknowledging within within the status quo of education and curriculum, there's a decent agreement generally around what we want to see our students coming out with what what the intended learning outcomes should be. Again, the delivery of it and the assessment of it is is where it has tended to fall apart. Um, And I believe that the education system hasn't really set things up so that we're measuring the right things for students. And um, the Dylan William quote keeps coming up around like, you know, formative assessment is the doctor's checkup. Summative assessment is the autopsy. So by the time you take a final exam and and measure that student's performance on the exam, it's too late. The the damage is done or the outcome is is done. So uh, what we're really looking at is how do you have real time fluid assessment of not just a student's understanding of facts, but their ability to think and, and how do you measure wisdom like that? That's something that hasn't really been tackled before. So um, by by collecting way, way more data points on student performance and engagement in real time, you're removing the need for those summative assessments and, and the peaks and valleys of anxiety and success and failure from that, and again, that system really hasn't set students up to, to get what we would hope they would get out of education, which is curiosity and enthusiasm and a healthy level of risk-taking. It's, it's too expensive to fail a final to do any of that. It's it's just going to be that students enter that with fear and anxiety. So I am really optimistic around what we've built, and we're already seeing seeing the outcomes here where, uh, yeah, it's it's a much more holistic approach and holistic is almost one of those buzzwords that's been be- beaten to death by everybody, but it's it's actually true. Um, and if you talk to any educator, they want cross disciplinary assessment, and they want you know any any group of teachers teaching students to collaborate and say, hey, let's really build our curriculum so that English talks to science and science talks to history, et cetera. But the delivery so far has been so reliant on each individual teacher's abilities, styles, and then also chemistry with the other teachers for that to be able to to really come through well. So um, yeah, happy to talk about nuts and bolts, but we, I believe, have built the solution to that, which is really measuring cross-learning outcomes and not just, hey, can can you parrot back the right answers to numbers three, four, and five on our test, but that concept you learned in physics yesterday, how often and in what ways are you applying that to your history class and to your English class, prompted or unprompted, and actually being able to accurately assess that quantitatively. Um, so, so that's what we're working on. And uh, time, time permitting, I would love to talk about how that's working with higher ed, too. But yeah.
0: Well, and, and it's, it's fascinating because there, there's multiple things in there, right? You know, it's like, I, I think, you know, the focus in on like, yeah, we, we consistently, and I remember this from the NCLB days when I started my teaching career was kind of around that time was how do we measure learning, right? That was a huge like thing, like how do we measure learning? And we're going to hold each other accountable to this and we're going to hold ourselves and that, and that and it transformed me as a teacher in many mm-hmm. positive ways, I had to learn to undo some things, but but it, it actually made me better in so many more ways than I was prior to that. Um, but you talk about measuring wisdom, right? And then the cross-disciplinary learning. And then earlier you said, you know, it's honoring and valuing the, the good work of the people who do the work, right? So those teachers, and I was a history teacher for years, mm-hmm. and we rarely talked to the physics teacher. And the cross-pollination really, you know, was... You know, up to me, you know, to be curious or to kind of integrate in different ways because I was at a big, big high school and even at a small high school, where I was that we didn't have the conversations. So, mm-hmm. how are you figuring out how to integrate, like, or cross pollinate the learning, and then also like dig at these ideas of, and I find it fascinating, right? Measuring wisdom, right, or you know, driving towards wisdom rather than just the the things I think we got stuck with years ago with is just kind of that, the, the, the learning, did they learn? And that's mm-hmm. not completely what we're about as educators.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think one thing is acknowledging we're in the 21st century and technology is going to play a role here. Uh, you know, I, I feel like I'm b- born on third base a little bit with this um, because Minerva has spent the last 10 to 13 years on researching and developing what i believe is the best online platform for learning um and there are millions and millions of student hours already put into it and student outcomes to look at and um and basically the the forum platform that they built we are now using in high schools all over the world and um it's it's able to measure things that teachers have not been able to measure in real time in an analog classroom. Um, you know, again, I, I mentioned I lasted one year teaching in a classroom. I vividly remember standing up in front of my students and looking down the rows and feeling like I already had implicit bias and like, okay, who's actually participating, who's not, who's checked out, who's talking too much. And it was, it was purely like personality-based for me. Uh, and it was really hard to remove myself from that. So having a platform that measures participation and and is transparent both to the teacher saying, hey, here's here are the students who are pretty disengaged. You should really pull them back in. And then also ha- as a student being able to have something showing you like, hey, you kind of checked out there for a bit. It's time to jump back in. That alone is a level of accountability that, And and consistent, equitable accountability that just has not existed. And that's a really, really small part of all the features. Um, Other other elements are having a curriculum cohesively designed across all standards-based courses by a unified team with levels of expertise in every topic. uh, And then having that built into this technology where the teacher experience and the student experience is standardized and the coursework is standards based. So anyone can look at this and say, I recognize this. I understand what it is. I understand what the intended outcomes are and have it delivered in such an efficient way that it allows teachers to then bring in their own flair, their own personality, their own, their own goals as well. And their own level of creativity. Um, It, it, it delivers on the consistency, so that teachers and schools can inject their own identities into it. Also, um, which again, I haven't seen yet be- before this.
0: Uh, I love that. I love that. Like you know, that's so interesting. Um. All right like so, the technology, right. You know, everybody's like at this place where they're either, you know, one way or the other, where it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, COVID did this a little bit, people are in this space with the AI stuff. And so I find that, you know, you even find it like a little bit with the smartphone conversation, but I feel like that's Mm -hmm. a little bit of a different conversation for adolescents and teenagers and in high schools than, Mm -hmm. than some of the other stuff. But you know, as we look to increase engagement for learning purposes to then get to those creativity and curiosity places where it's creating wisdom and creating wisdom together. Like, how do we, how do you think about technology or how can you help people think about technology? Because I feel like there's not like the middle interested ground anymore. Like people are all in, like, Hey, yeah. I'm all in, this is, this going to be transformative. This is like, we're yeah. all in. And I've been all in on Minerva since day one, when I got introduced, you know, maybe about 10 years ago or so. And then mm-hmm. it's like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, this is great stuff. And then like, I get excited about this stuff too, about AI. And then you get people like this stuff's terrible. It's awful. Like, and then COVID kind of broke some people when it comes to like the virtual learning or engagement through other platforms, Like, how do you have these conversations or how do you share with people? And you shared some data even with me that was pretty interesting. But like, how do you share with people like, yeah, the technology can be an accelerator to engagement, to learning, to creating relationships, to doing this work? It doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be what we maybe got a bad picture of where it was the remote, disengaged, disconnected learning that so many people experienced.
1: Yeah, and I was I was one of them when when I was uh, with with virtual education. Our entire point was in person active learning, and when COVID hit, we went. This is gonna be awful. Um, we you know we ran through an entire scenario plan. We did end up having to bring our students home from multiple countries abroad, and we said, well, you know, we are absolutely committed to to fulfilling their educational experience and, and we're going to have to go online, but how do we make this suck as little as possible for everybody? And we, we shopped around, we vetted every single online learning platform. And my introduction to Minerva was test driving their forum platform. And I, again, I came in really cynical. I was, I was not expecting to like it. I was like, this is a necessary evil. We're going to get through it. And then we're going to go back in person as soon as possible. And I loved it. And when our students joined it, the the net promoter score from all of our students on their educational experience was off the charts. Everybody had an amazing time. So that really planted a seed. And then years later, when I was talking to Ben Nelson and the team at Minerva about what they were working on, I I had that experience already. And now talking to educators, you know, you mentioned AI. It makes perfect sense why people would be very nervous. And there are tons of teachers on the front lines right now experiencing cheating on a daily basis. And it's it's really hard to catch and it's really hard to put standards around it. And yet, again, unanimously, everyone knows AI is inevitable. Like it's not going away. It's going to become more prolific and a, a part of our lives. So how do we treat AI the way people treated calculators 30 years ago? in classrooms, like there was a time when the calculator was terrifying and seen as cheating. And now it's understood that there are there are useful applications in a math class to use a calculator. And then there are some concepts and principles where, hey, we're going to put the calculators away so that we understand these concepts deeply uh, ourselves, AI is really no different. And, and so while the rules are still being written, and it's still kind of the Wild West. It's been helpful to be able to talk to educators and put their minds at ease and say, hey, we have we have created the guardrails within this platform. The Minerva team actually built the forum platform 12 years ago with AI in mind, thinking that it was going to be plugged in a year later. And they looked over their shoulders for over a decade. Now it's finally here and, and plugged into to forum and to what everybody's doing these days. Um but that's that's really been a huge benefit. Being able to go to educators and to schools and say, "We understand your concerns. We understand the challenges this is presenting," but the student te- the student experience and the teacher experience in the Minerva Baccalaureate program is actually like crafted for this. There are it it's a real time active learning exercise every day for students, and it is in real time. Which means there's really no way around a student showing in real time that they understand the concepts that they're talking about. So, um, you know, the the lesson plans have exercises where, hey, use AI for X, Y, and Z, but it is in a prescribed safe setting essentially, um, and and that's really helping schools d- define appropriate use of AI. Yeah.
0: So so maybe the last question, because because I'm super interested to go back, right, as you reflect and, and maybe think ahead, is if you reflect and say, okay, we've kind of been in this 55 year drought, it sounds mm-hmm. a little bit like maybe the Buffalo Bills. Um, <laughs> you know, but but as I think about it, but 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 if we look forward, right, and somebody's having this conversation. They're gonna win, and, they'll win and eventually. <laughs> Right. Yeah. If somebody's having this conversation 55 years from now, right? Mm-hmm. A similar conversation about education and about like what mm-hmm. would be your hopes for like how someone reflects on 55 years from now?
1: From now. That's, I love that question. Um hopefully hopefully we're not in droughts anymore. I, there there has been a 50 to 60 year kind of cycle where we're having to reinvent ourselves. Um, I, I hope that is no longer the case. I hope that uh, our, our development as an industry is as real time and fluid and adaptable as the world is requiring it to be. Um, and I'm hopeful that we can look back and also just at the at the current situation and say, there are commonly understood standards for what will help a student be happy and successful in the world as it is today and in the future. Um and we are ensuring that, while at the same time addressing that same student's hopes and dreams and fears and goals and individuality. like that that is the thing that I hope is universally solved by then. Because right now, schools are really having to, they're at a fork in the road and they have to take one or the other road. One road is individualized education, uh, which is so, let's dig into that student so much that there is no standard. And then it gets really squishy. And I think I told you this before, but it turns into like, oh, everybody gets like a smiley face in chemistry class. Like that—that that is the level of accountability and standard when you try to be super individualized, or has been until us, I believe. Or the other road that you can take is no, it needs to be standardized. And then inevitably, it turns into teach to the test. And nobody wants that either. So my hope for 55 years from now, is that we have been able to to combine both where, yeah, there's there's an understood standard for what's going to help people be successful in life. And it's not prescribed. It's not forcing it down everybody's throat when it may not be the best fit.
0: I lo- I love that. I love that and that resonates so much with me. Uh as we close out, what's the best way for people to learn more about your work?
1: Uh MBAC, mbacc.com. Thanks Ben. Never Baccalaureate. Thank awesome. you Eric.